Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better. Start now. Let's go. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and this is your host, Ella. Today, I am joined by Jean Owang. Jean, I don't think I could even begin to do justice to your bio. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, thank you, Ella. Thanks for having me on. Um, My name is Jean, as you mentioned, and I am CEO of Virgin Unite. We're the not-for-profit foundation of the Virgin Group. And I'm also the co-founder of an organization called Plus Wonder. That's really, we brought it into the world to look at how can we almost have like a relationship reset in the world to bring people together and connect. Yeah. In fact, you have written a book called Partnering, Forge the Deep Connections that Make Great Things Happen. And I just have to tell you folks, like just the cover, Gene, of your book, photographs of the people you've worked with, everyone from Nelson Mandela to former President Jimmy Carter. Of course, you are tight with Richard Branson. Who are some of the people that you've worked with that you would love to share with this audience? Yeah, I think the beauty of this is that um, over the last 15 years, I interviewed 65 plus partnerships and collaborations, and some of them are super well known, like some of the ones you just mentioned, and also President Mrs. Carter, Archbishop Tutu and Leah. And then we also have incredible partnerships that are doing things that people will be really excited to meet that you may not have heard about yet. So there's a whole host of incredible partnerships that I had the chance to interview. Yes, you just your experience is deep and wide. And I bet some of the most interesting stories even come from the less notorious individuals um, with whom you've worked. You, of course, are writing about deep connections. And I want to look at that through the lens of relationships today, both intimate and familial, as well as professional. I think we can, I think a lot of the principles you discuss are universal. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that was one of the most interesting things. As I started to do these interviews, I started to see these amazing patterns, whether they were friends or family or romantic, um, and they were common patterns. There were six common patterns across all 65 partnerships. Let's talk a little bit about what led you to pursue this. Uh, What problem statement really drove you to write this book? Yeah, I I feel like we have been pushed so far into being so hyper-individualistic from the time almost we are born. And then when we're in grade school, we're taught we have to get the gold star. We have to be the one that wins. Same thing in high school and university and the companies in our relationships. And so I started to see that this hyper-focus on hyper-individualism was actually disconnecting us and separating us and not allowing us to learn how to build these deep connections and these relationships in our lives. So I started to get really passionate about how do we move the world from being hyper-individualistic to almost learning how we can reconnect with one another. So how do we become hyper-connected again? Because I feel like that hyper-individualism has caused this world of fear and division. So it's, it's, it's almost broken us apart where we're not celebrating each other's differences. Instead, we're fearful of one another. And I feel like there's a real opportunity to bring ourselves back together again and realize the importance of these deep connections in our lives. 
I think anyone who is alive in the world right now is probably nodding their head off. Can you tell us what it means to you when you say that we are lacking in shared meaning? What does that mean? Yeah, and lack of shared meaning is one of the things, because as part of this, we not only interviewed the 65 partnerships, but we also talked to a lot of relationships experts to understand what breaks relationships also. And one of the biggest things that breaks relationships is when people come together, whether, again, they're romantic or friendship, when they come together and they don't have a sense of shared meaning, shared purpose that's bigger than the relationship. And that doesn't mean that their purpose has to be exactly the same. Like if you look, for example, at Jacqueline Novogratz, who started acting and Chris Anderson, who is the curator of TED. They're in a romantic relationship and they have two different purposes, but they cheerlead each other on to help them fulfill their own purposes. They have a shared vision and dream of something bigger than their relationship, of building a world of dignity, yet they have different paths within that. So when I say shared meaning, it doesn't, again, necessarily mean you have to be on the exact same path. It means that you have to have a common understanding of how you want to make the world better. And you may have different paths in order to get there. You say the world needs a relationship reset. And I have to say, I think that 99.9% of us would agree with that statement. I think some of the hardest work to do is in our own backyards, Gene, or even at our own dinner table. Do you know what I mean? And so I really want to talk to you today largely about the micro level. Like, How do we make this work in our own lives? How do we pursue relationship reset and or deep connections for a richer life, for more fulfillment, et cetera? So that's where I'd love to go today. I'm super excited to go there, Ellen. That's one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk to you, because when I say relationship reset, I'm really passionate that it has to happen one deep connection at a time. That was one of the most beautiful things um, of what led me to this book is I started watching these people who had these deep connections and realized it was the deep connections that allowed them to become the best version of themselves in this world. And, you know, the the Harvard um, uh, grant study did an amazing study over 75 years with 268 participants. So it tracked them over 75 years of their life to see what allowed them to have a meaningful life. And the thing that was most important were the relationships in their life. That is what allowed them to have a healthy, long, meaningful life. Is that what you mean then, Jean, when you say that deep connections help you find your purpose? Yeah. So it was the other thing that was very interesting when we went through this 15 years of interviews is this intersection between partnership and purpose in two ways. One, having that purpose helps deepen your relationship. And then secondly, when you're in a partnership with someone, they can be a number of things. They can be a bearer of truth for you. So they help you understand where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, where your passions are, where your heart is. They can also be what I, what I, one of the, um, people I interviewed called help when you're hanging out in those skinny limbs. So if you're <laughs> too far out there, helping you pull back and helping you, you know, understand where your path is. But they can also be those people that challenge you and push you and and have you do something maybe more audacious than if you were doing it on your own. I want to share some nuggets from your book. And if you don't mind, I'm going to try and get as many out here as possible that were of great use to me. I read some of these sections to my partner in life, my husband, and I think that they'll be of value to the audience as well. We'll just get through as many of these as we can. But 
Jean, you actually have a framework in your book called The Six Degrees of Connection. And if you don't mind, I'm going to cherry pick just a little bit from those. And the first one that I wanted to start with was, could you please explain whether we're talking about our business partner, our spouse, our family, could you talk about the concept of all in before I talk about how I'm doing it wrong? (laughs) (laughs) And the first thing is that I should say also is all of us do it wrong. There's no perfect relationships. All 60 plus of these uh, were not perfect. And, you know, I, I came up with the term imperfect pedestal because we have to be careful not to put ourselves, our partners on a pedestal and not let them allow them to make mistakes. So every single one of these 65 partnerships I met talked about hard work and how this is hard work. And going all in is one of the bits. I'm glad you cherry picked that because it's one of the bits that's the hardest, hardest thing for all of us to do. You know, ultimately being all in means how you give 100% through unconditional love in your partnership. The question when we're in a relationship, whether it's business or whether it's friend or whether it's romantic, we shouldn't be asking the question, do they love me enough? The question should be, am I loving enough? You know, being open to all the relationships in your life in an all-in way so that you don't miss a potential relationship that could change your life for the better. You talk about the biggest barrier to being all in is when one partner seems absent from the relationship, and then you go on to detail what that can actually look like. And of course, it can look like high conflict, but another symptom of this is total disengagement, indifference, separateness, even that can occur when people do have good intentions, but they live in a very, very busy world. What do you suggest for people who are suffering from the latter, the separateness, the distraction, the not being able to be all in because you feel like you have competing priorities? Yeah, this is a super important one. And that that separateness can come in all kinds of shapes and forms. But one of the most prominent ways that that separateness starts in a relationship is because there's an imbalance in commitment and people start to disengage. And Uzo Aweli, one of the people that I interviewed who runs the Africa Center, you know, he was talking about how if you don't listen to someone, it's like you're telling them they don't exist. And Paul Bennett talked about his relationship with his partner, Jim. And he said, when my partner speaks, the world stops. Mm. And I think it's that deep listening. And, you know, John Gottman, the relationship specialist is amazing. And he calls them bids for attention. And he said that he can tell when he's watching a partnership, if someone responds to a bid for attention, for example, if you come home from work and you want to talk to your partner about something horrible that happened today, and if your partner doesn't listen, that's a missed opportunity of paying attention to your partner. And he said that, you know, in great partnerships, people respond to a bid for attention. I think it was over 85% of the time. And in bad partnerships, you see more than 33% of the time they're ignoring those bids for attention. So I think that separateness a lot of times will come because you're not present with your partner and you're not there with your partner, particularly in the moments that they need you to be there. And, you know, another partnership that I just love, um, Paz and Joe Confino, they talked a lot about one of the ways that they made sure that they didn't have that separateness is every single Friday, they had something called Friday Talk. So they would go somewhere separate from their house, so completely independent, and they would take at least an hour where each one of them would have a chance to talk about what was great that happened that week 
but also what was bad, what upset them that happened that week. And they each had to sit and listen to each other, just be in silence and listen to one another and then talk it through. And they said that that helped them stay so deeply connected, even when they had really busy schedules, because if something like blew up in the middle of the week, it didn't go into high drama because they knew that they could have Friday to come and talk about it and sit and be still with one another. Um, so there was all kinds of rituals and practices that people put in place that kept them connected. We, we call them magnetic moments in the book and that stopped that separateness. Yeah. And we get so busy, don't we? And it's so easy to not do this. It's so easy to not make the effort. I think that if this is an intention, it's very likely to not happen. But if you create a system or another word for that is a habit, I think it increases the opportunity for that to actually happen. Did you find a pattern there? People systematizing this type of communication? Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things that blew my mind because I, I hadn't realized how people that were successful in their partnerships do have a system. They do put in place these rituals, traditions, and practices. Like President and Mrs. Carter, every single afternoon, they'd sit on the Truman balcony and talk about their day. As one um, does. <laughs> you know, and, you know, or there was this beautiful practices like... Um, Bert, Bert and John Jacobs talked about how their mom, from the time they were children, I think this is the beautiful thing too, is parents can do this in their home. Like she asked them the question at dinner every single night, what was something that good that happened today? Or, you know, Sangu Deli's mom used to do this beautiful thing. And I loved how he described his mom. He called her the CEO of them because it was three brothers. And uh, she was amazing where she would say to them every night before they went to bed, look in the mirror and ask yourself, what did you do today that helped someone else? And she had this extraordinary practice with her three sons. If one of them was bad, she would punish all three jointly. And if one of them did something amazing, she'd reward all three of them. And it was this beautiful connection that they then built together. So I think, you know, parents and with our children through to our partnerships, we can put these rituals and practices in place that keep us connected and keep us optimistic and celebrating the differences that we have between one another, rather than letting those differences rip us apart. Well, we'll move on to additional principles, but I did want to pull out one more thing that you mentioned, and that was this bids for attention. Um, you'll get a kick out of knowing that in my book, I underlined this twice. And the exact words in the book, I think, are so useful. I really want to call this out. You said bids for attention are the constant, nearly unrecognizable moments for reaching out from one individual to another within a relationship. And I thought that that was so useful as a partner and as a person. Person in a relationship. So what I mean by that is I thought, what bids for attention is my partner putting out there that I am steamrolling over because I'm not paying attention? The second thing that it made me ask myself is, what am I doing that might be provocative or it might be, it might not even be something bad, but it's really actually just a bid for attention. And can I change the language and say, actually, I just need some attention right now. <laughs> can I just call it what it is? Yeah, and that's I love John Gottman's language about bids for attention. And also when, you know, when I first started this, I was told by people, you have to find the drama, you have to find the fights, you have to find the those, you know, those moments of when people are super angry at each other. And I really tried to dig for those in the beginning. And what I found was something beautiful, because it wasn't that these people didn't have problems. Again, everyone has problems, but they had created tools to lift themselves above the drama 
and work through those issues and learn from those issues. And I, I call it positive amnesia because they also forgive and let things go. So no matter how much I dug, they would not betray one another and be negative or undermine each other in any way because they had this sense of positive amnesia where they literally forgave someone for something in the past and move forward with that person. And I think that helped them to build the strength and the depth in their relationship. This episode is brought to you by the Live Better Start Now Retreat, hosted by me, Ella, and held September 29th through October 2nd in Miami Beach. Don't miss out on the early bird pricing that ends in June. I cannot wait to work with you, to eat with you, to hang out with you while figuring out which areas of our life we want to dial it up. If you're interested in being a part of a small group of amazing women, then go to onairella.com today and join this event. I cannot wait to see you. Live better, start now. Or hey, start in Miami. I'll see you there. All right, back to Jean. Let's stay there for a moment. Let's talk about managing conflict. And I love that you call this harnessing friction. What a more useful way to think about conflict, Gene, to actually harness it and in some ways make it work for you. And you share lots of tips around managing conflict and harnessing that friction in relationships. I'm going to throw some at you and I would love for you to just riff on them and explain what you mean. Why is understanding the why in conflict so important? Yeah, this was a massive one. And, you know, the beautiful thing again, and the reason we called it harnessing friction is because many of the partnerships talked about actually those moments of conflict, those moments of friction are the times when you learn the most about one another and when you go deepest in your relationship. And again, saying all that doesn't mean it's easy. It's not easy. It's never easy. And uh, understanding the why was a really important one. And this was talked a lot about um, two, between two friends, um, Bertrand and Andre, who did the world's first solar impulse flight. And they talked about how they needed to understand each other's history. And, you know, Sarah Kay called it understanding each other's weather. And so that you understand what's in your history and what may be bringing up that emotion or that reaction that has nothing really to do with you as a partner, but is something coming from their history. And that comes with that deep, empathetic listening and creating the space. And, you know, a lot of them use this beautiful phrase of it's okay to disagree. It's not okay to be disagreeable. And so creating that safe space for a spirit of discourse, but going back to understanding why that person may be upset at that moment and realizing and not personalizing it, not thinking it's all about you. It's about perhaps something that happened in their history. That is so much easier to say than to do sometimes, Jean. Do you agree? <laughs> I agree 100% because when you're in the midst of a heated conflict and, you know, one of the things that, um, that again, I learned from the partnerships is a lot of times if it gets too heated, what they do is they take a pause. They either separate for a moment and go for a walk and then come back together again um, because it is really hard to do in the moment. It's hard to understand that. And it's not when you're understanding the why, it's not giving an excuse that, that if someone has bad behavior saying that's OK, but it's just understanding why they may be behaving like that. Yeah, no, you really got my number when you said you need to take the spotlight away from your own personal feelings if you really want to understand what someone else is feeling and why. And I was like, 
Okay, fine. <laughs> that that also got underscored, Jean. <laughs> <laughs> that one got underscored for me many times as well. I, 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 again, I should be really clear that I wrote this book because I wanted to explore great partnerships, not because I was a great partner and I had to learn how to do that. And that's what this last 15 years has changed my life dramatically. Well, you referenced Andre and Bertrand. Am I saying that right? Yeah, perfect. Okay. And you said that they, in any disagreement, they always start by asking themselves, what if the other person is right? That was another tool that you share in this book. So in any disagreement, pausing and asking, what if the other person is right? Are you recommending that as, again, like almost as a system, as a gamification, or is that a mental exercise? Because I think it's interesting to have to almost tell your partner what you think they are saying. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think it's a system and it's a gamification because if you do that in the moment and some of them turned it into a game, like some of them would play what they called the hard question game where they would actually reverse positions and they'd argue the other person's position. So you had to put yourself in the other person's shoes and talk about why they why you thought they felt something so strongly. So a lot of them did turn it into this gamification moment. Um, and having that question when something is causing friction allows you to almost recognize your own fallibility and your own vulnerability. You know, I think particularly in business that we think we have to be right. You know, we we are in a position where we don't we can't allow our vulnerabilities to show all the time, and we, or we feel that way, and so it closes us down from having this really the spirit of discourse is honest conversation. And if you start with that question about what if the other person is right and open that space of your own vulnerability and your own fallibility, then it creates far more open, honest discussions and relationships. It's interesting that you say that. I actually really like that as again, to use the word, an intentional gamification in the business environment. Because when you're trying to flesh out an idea so that you don't get confirmation bias or just yes, boss bias, I think it's a really useful question to play devil's advocate for or against ideas. And I think that that's really useful. In my personal life, that is much harder. And I think it is a super interesting tool to ha- to add to our toolkits. Um, you go on, Jean, and you mentioned humor, which I don't, I don't know how people survive with without it. But my favorite, and you mentioned this before, and I'd love for you to expand upon it. My favorite turn of phrase that I learned from you was positive amnesia. You touched on that. Could you elaborate? Yeah. And this this is one of my favorites as well, because I think one of the things that holds us back and makes us stuck as human beings is that we don't let go of things. And if you don't let go of them, you hold them in your heart, you're never going to be able to build that trust, that respect, that belief, that generosity with each other. And so what positive amnesia is, it's, it's, it's almost this beautiful sense of release where you don't have to hold the negative things that have happened in your relationship like 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five minutes ago. You can talk through them and release them. And then the importance of positive amnesia is you then are holding this space of respect with your partner. So when you're in, like, for example, when they were in the interviews with me and I was trying to dig for that dirt, they wouldn't allow each other to talk about that dirt because they literally forgot about it and they let it go. And so when they're talking about each other, when they're um, sharing stories about their past, they did it in the space of love and respect and trust and not undermining and not undercutting someone. And 
I feel like that sense of positive amnesia holds us and allows us to move forward and grow. And you can't have the positive amnesia, though, if you don't learn how to deal with conflict. And you also can't have positive amnesia if you're coming to things constantly with judgment. Um, One of the partners talked a lot about how judgment is the biggest obstacle to forgiveness. Yes, I think it's so important to talk about the other side of that coin, which is positive amnesia is not possible in a relationship where you don't feel seen or you don't feel heard or you're still seeking validation from the other party in some way. I think that makes it extremely difficult. And I learned this the hard way. So in previous relationships, I think I probably could have referenced mental historical documents about, well, remember all that Thursday in 2003 where you said that thing and you were wearing the blue sweater? (laughs) That really hurt me. (laughs) And I realized in my evolution, one hopes, that this is a really provocative way to say this, Jean, but we are all hypocrites. Everyone and in any relationship is, if you choose to look at it that way, a complete hypocrite at some time or another, whether it comes to how you parent and saying one thing and ended up ending up doing another or judging something that your partner's doing or your roommate's doing as little as, I can't believe he left his spoon in the sink again. And then the next day you've left a complete disaster in the same area. Do you know what? All these little tiny moments that actually comprise our whole life, if we hold on to these grudges and if we are fueled by them, I think we will find ourselves not only quite hypocritical at the end of the day, but also really empty. Yeah, completely empty. Because if you're holding on to all those grudges, you can never build the depth of a connection. And like one of the things that I had to learn through this whole process is I had a real problem with trust. And, you know, I think one of the things listening to these partnerships is they really had this concept of trusting that their partnership was coming from a place of good intention. And when you kind of open your heart and realize that if you're with the right partnerships and you're building the right partnerships, they're coming from a place of good intention and we are all going to make mistakes. But always remembering that the other person is coming from a place of good intention allows you to release some of those things that you may hold from, you know, because I think you're right, we all do that. Like from 20 years ago, we remember that one moment. But if we step back and think, okay, that person was coming from a place of good intention and then doing the work with that partner and making sure that you create that safe space, both like literally having a safe space where you can go and sit and just be together. And then also a safe space that no, you can be completely honest and vulnerable with the other person to talk through it. And that gives you the freedom to have this positive amnesia because it gives you the freedom to be that have that deep connection of respect and trust. Yes. This tool for me is equally beneficial, both professionally and personally, when you can give the benefit of the doubt And when you can lead with the assumption that they had good intent, there are obviously flagrant examples where that's not the case. But I would say, by and large, the business of negotiating and wayfaring yourself through day to day, if you can assume positive intent, it has the potential, I think, in increments to change your life through all of these little tiny nuances. Yeah. And I I think the other thing is just also putting things in perspective. And, you know, they all spoke about how they take their purpose serious, but they they don't take themselves too seriously. And, you know, I love something that Derek and Beverly Jobert um, talked about where they said, you know, if, is they, whenever they have a point of friction, they step back and they think, you know, when we're writing our memoir, when we're in our 90s, 
is this going to be mentioned in there? You know, others called it the other 99 things, you know, remembering all the good things about your partnership, because you're right, you're going to have those moments. Everyone has those moments of frustration when you wake up tired, or you see, you know, someone forgot to close the garage door again, you're going to have those moments of, oh, but if you, again, just take a deep breath and you remember that phrase, the other 99 things, and you remember the things that you love about them, I think very often, and I know I've done this in my life so many times is we give up so quickly. And, you know, if you get other, if you get external help, or if you, you can create these third ways, I think we, we, and we do this, you know, in America right now, um, it's heartbreaking how much we don't come together and think about third way options. You know, we just immediately come together and think about it has to be this way, it has to be that way. And we need to create this space in all of our relationships and in the world to think about what is that third way that's not a lose for anyone. It's a win and you can move forward and you can both become get better people. The final concept that I wanted to share with everybody before I let you go, Jean, is one, again, that really supports the importance of building mutual respect. And your work makes it very clear that respect is a foundational pillar in any relationship. But whether someone is dating or engaged in a business partnership or trying to enrich their marriage, Jean, can you share with them the concept of Legos, not Jigsaw? Yeah, then trust and respect came up uh, in every single one first up. They're so important and they're so intertwined. Um, and Legos Not Jigsaws is something I absolutely adored um, that Richard Reed from Innocent Drinks came up with. And Legos Not Jigsaws is all about this concept. We try sometimes to make our partners or change them or make them more like us, when in reality, where we can get the richness out of our life is if we celebrate their differences and those electric currents of differences and if we learn from them. So that's like a Lego puzzle where you're actually building on each other and you're creating these extraordinary structures that continue to build your purpose and your meaning and your life rather than a flat jigsaw where you just fit together perfectly. I think we've done such a disservice to children when we talk about you know, the Cinderella story where you have to find the shoe that fits perfectly. You have to be the perfect partnership, exactly alike. Really where the richness and the depth comes in is those differences. And that's what Legos and Jigsaws is all about. How do you build the Legos that celebrate the differences rather than try to find just the people that will fit you perfectly? Jean, thank you so much for sharing these concepts. You have so many more in this book that you've written called Partnering, which of course I will link for everyone in the show notes. But Jean, you know I can't let you go until I ask you for one recommendation. What is something you are loving right now that you want to share with everybody listening? Something I'm loving is something really simple that my husband and I do together every day. And that is share the five things we're most grateful for from that day. And the reason I'm loving it is uh, it's easy to think of one or two things you're most grateful from that day. When you have to go to five, that's where you learn a lot more about your partner and where they are at every day and what's exciting them, whatever it may be, but it just connects you in a far deeper level. So that's something we are doing right now that I absolutely adore. Jean, thank you so much. Thank you, Ella, for you and for all you're doing. Thanks to, to all of the listeners. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or get the show notes and links at onairella.com. There's no with. It's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. And thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.